State Senator Denny Hoskins is having a busy 2019 session. In addition to trying to legalize video lottery terminals, the Warrensburg Republican is also trying to legalize and tax sports betting. Hoskins joins us on the latest edition of Politically Speaking to talk about his sponsored legislation and some of the issues that could be controversial on the Senate floor. Let's hit the music. This is Politically Speaking, the longest-running episodic podcast about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that, that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Rosenbaum of St. Louis Public Radio. Before we start this podcast, I do want to present a bit of a disclaimer. We had some technical difficulties with the Comrex Field Tap app, and that means the sound quality of our conversation with Senator Denny Hoskins is not really that pristine. It's still listenable, and the conversation was really great. We're still going to bring this episode to you. Without further ado, here's Politically Speaking with State Senator Denny Hoskins. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining us through the magical power of the Comrex Field Tab app and the power of radio from Jefferson City, Missouri, our guest this week is... State Senator Denny Hoskins. Welcome to the show. Your first time on the show. This is actually the second time we have interviewed a senator from the 21st District. Uh, your predecessor, David Pierce, was, was, was kind enough to appear on the show just before we ask you a little bit about yourself and dive into issues, just explain what counties encompass your district. Yes, I represent the 21st district. So my hometown is Warrensburg, Missouri, which is the home of uh, the University of Central Missouri. And then we also have Whiteman Air Force Base, home of the B-2 bomber in, in Johnson County. Then we also have Howard County, uh, Lafayette County, Carroll County, Saline County, Ray County, Livingston County and Caldwell County. So uh, quite a diverse geographic district in, uh, depends on where you come from. I've got counties that are are in mid-Missouri. I've got counties that are in West Central Missouri. I've got counties that affiliate with Northwest Missouri, and I've got counties that affiliate with Kansas City and the surrounding areas. I imagine you have a lot of miles on your car having to visit everyone. Is that fair to say? Uh, That is definitely fair to say. Usually about 30,000 miles a year. Jeez. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I know that you were first elected to the House in 2008. You were actually House uh, Speaker Pro Tem for for a little bit. What got you interested in Missouri politics, and how did you get to this position where you're now a Missouri state senator? I've always been interested in in Missouri politics, and from the time when I went to Missouri Boys State at uh, UCM uh, when I was in high school and just always had an interest in politics uh, back uh, state Senator David Pierce, he was st- state representative at the time, he uh, came to visit with him in a leadership group and just became further interested in state politics. And then State Senator uh, David Pierce ran for state Senate at the time. I ran for state representative. Out of 14,000 votes cast, I won by a landslide of 122 votes. So it was very close. 
And fortunately, I was uh, reelected by my constituents and served eight years in the House. And then I've been uh, elected to the Senate in 2016 and uh, served two years and, and do plan to run again for reelection in the year 2020. But I enjoy what I do uh, in the Missouri State Senate and as well as the Missouri State House. I've always said it's not always about passing bills, but but helping constituents. And I've been fortunate enough to uh, hopefully uh, I think my constituents believe I've been successful with both. Talk about a couple of bills that you have sponsored recently. And I think with the first topic, you've actually sponsored a number of versions of this particular topic. It's legislation that would both legalize sports betting and also legalize what I think is being called video lottery or, or video slot machines that are, are seen throughout Illinois and gas stations. I want you to explain um, why you're doing this and kind of what the mindset behind this particular policy push is. Yes. Well, first, uh, Senate Bill 43 does deal with video lottery terminals. And this, I believe, is the third year that I sponsored this legislation. So video lottery terminals, you see them in other states. They look like video poker machines. Uh, Illinois has uh, approved and, and legalized those over the past several years. Basically, we have around uh, 14,000 gray games or illegal video lottery video poker machines in, in Missouri currently. Um, we are not regulating or taxing these. Uh, I believe that uh, my bill, which would provide there can be five in most uh, bars, taverns, uh, convenience stores, uh, fraternal organizations, and truck stops. And then um, up to 10, I, I believe, in fraternal organizations as well as truck stops, but five for uh, most other places that uh, serve alcohol. It would generate up to $126 million or, or in once fully implemented, and that money would go toward education. And so it's, I believe that it's a form of entertainment and uh, with new money coming to the state uh, for uh, education. And then uh, one third, basically 32% of the tax would go toward to the state. 4% of the tax on these video lottery terminals would go to the local municipality. And then another 32% uh, to the owner of the establishment that had the video lottery terminals and another 32% of the revenue would go to uh, the business where that was located. So it's uh, been very successful in other states. And again, it would generate $126 million plus in net new revenue to the state. And then what about uh, the legalization of sports betting, which I think was made possible by, I think, believe, a U.S. Supreme Court decision last year, if, if I'm not mistaken? That is correct. In May of 2018, the U.S. Supreme Court decided that other states uh, could have sports betting, a sports book, and it was a pretty much a landmark case. Up until then, basically the only state that could do that is the state of Nevada. And, uh, and for those listeners that have been to Las Vegas, they know about sports book. And if they want to bet on the St. Louis Cardinals or the Kansas City Chiefs or the Mizzou Tigers or the Kansas City Royals or the St. Louis Blues, they could do that in Las Vegas. So what my bill does, it, it legalizes sports book in the state of Missouri. And it's a lot more complicated than, than you would think. I know there's been another Supreme Court case, I, I believe, which talked about state-to-state uh, -state gaming and, and things like that, So, uh, which disallowed state-to-state -state gaming. 
but what my bill does, it allows you, would allow you to download an app, a sports betting app. The current version said that you would have to go to a casino to sign up for that app, and then you can bet anywhere in the state of Missouri. So if you wanted to make a bet on the St. Louis Blues uh, from the comfort of your own home, or actually while you're at the Enterprise Arena, you could do that uh, under my bill. Um, it does have some other requirements uh, as far as as far as the taxes go. The taxes, 12% tax would go toward education. Currently, casinos pay a 21% tax uh, on their table games and slot machines and things like that. So there would be a 12% tax uh, that would go toward education. There would be a 2% administrative fee that would go toward the Veterans Capital Improvement Trust Fund for our veterans homes and veterans cemeteries here in the state of Missouri. And then there would also be part of that fee would go to the gaming commission uh, to regulate sports book in the state of Missouri. And then there was also a 0.5% administrative fee that would go toward the in entertainment infrastructure fund. And what this fund is, it's, it's very unique. I believe I'm the only one that's proposed this in, in the United States, but Year after year, we get requests uh, from different facilities, and whether it's the Enterprise Arena in St. Louis, whether it's Jackson County Sports Authority for Arrowhead Stadium and Coffin Stadium, whether it's uh, for Mizzou Arena and or Faro Field, we get requests all the time for money to be used uh, to help with those different kinds of structures. What my my uh, sports book bill does with that 0.5 administrative fee, it would generate up to $5.3 million a year to help out with infrastructure. And what we mean by infrastructure is I've always said that I want the, when I'm a fan, I want to have the, I want to make sure that the fans have a great experience getting to the game and whether that means increased lighting around the stadium and the public streets around the stadium, better intersections so they can get to the stadium or entertainment facility quicker maybe a pedestrian overpass over a major highway so it doesn't block traffic when you've got a lot of uh, fans going to the uh, event. And then I want to make sure the fans have a great experience inside uh, the entertainment facility. And I use sports stadiums, but this could also be used for concert halls and other amphitheaters and other entertainment facilities. So I imagine that there's probably some pushback on various fronts to legalizing both of these things. I would assume casinos are not super pleased or excited about sports betting being legalized and, and also uh, video lotteries uh, terminals being legalized too. What, what's been sort of the discourse you've heard so far on this issue? Yes, the casinos have some concerns. Obviously, they have a, a different bill where sports book would be taxed at 6.75% in the state of Missouri. Now, in other states, the other seven to eight states that have passed sports book and sports betting, uh, the uh, income tax rate ranges anywhere from 6.75% as the low, which uh, I believe the state of Nevada has, all the way up to 51% tax, and I believe that's in the state of Rhode Island. So my, my provision calls, obviously, like I said, for a 12% tax plus a 2% administrative fee, and then plus a different 0.5% uh, administrative fee to go toward the Entertainment Infrastructure Fund to be used uh, to help for infrastructure improvements that um, at any of those entertainment and sporting facilities. When I was talking with Representative Phil Cristofanelli, when we were talking about like uh, instituting like an internet sales tax, he talked about he would only be in favor of something like that if the proceeds were effectively used to pay for tax cuts. 
My question is, is this money going to go into these various funds you talked about? And then is the legislature going to cut out the funds and then use them for something else, basically supplanting? Or will this be additional money for education that could be used for other things, essentially? Well, that's a great question. And this money will actually go toward education. Now, in the Senate and House appropriations, as well as the governor's budget, um, this would supplant general revenue. And so it would be up to the the House and the Senate, as well as, as the governor's uh, recommendations, whether or not we this was on top of the amount of money that education currently receives. I know we have uh, fully funded the foundation formula for the uh, last uh, few years, and we want to continue to fully fund the school foundation formula for K through 12. But my my feeling has always been is if we can get uh, a revenue source or keep getting a revenue source that would hopefully fully fund the foundation without having to use any of general revenue. Um, that's That would be my goal and to have a, a funding source that would always come in that would go straight uh, toward education uh, from the gaming, from the casinos, from video lottery terminals, uh, from, uh, like I said, video lottery terminals, $126 million toward education. Uh, the sports book and sports betting, uh, they range anywhere from $12 million to $30 million for, edu- for education. So real pot of gold for public education definitely is the video lottery terminals. But ultimately, we as a legislature cannot bind future legislatures. And so ultimately, it will come up uh, as far as those appropriation bills every year, uh, whether or not this would supplant or be on top of uh, that those education funding. Let's talk about another bill that you've sponsored. It deals with effectively expanding uh, the autism insurance mandate. Uh, what, what Senate bill is that again before we, we talk about the substance? Yes, this is Senate Bill 45. Okay. So just as kind of a disclaimer before we talk about this, um, as people know when they listen to the show, I have a child with special needs. I've taken advantage of some insurance mandated coverage that has gone towards some sorts of therapies for my child. So this is not an issue that I'm completely unaffected by, but I think that it's an important enough issue to talk about on a platform like this in depth. So explain what your legislation does and why you think it's needed. Because from looking at social media, I think the impetus behind this is that um, the uh, like autism is, is, is covered and it's a required thing to be covered in insurance in Missouri, but other similar developmental disorders are not, and it's causing a lot of families to have to pay out of pocket for very costly coverage. That that's what I assume the issue is. But if you want to explain it more in depth, I, I'd like you to give the, you this opportunity. Yes, yes, most certainly. So ten years ago, I served on a joint committee on autism disorders, and where we came up with an insurance mandate, uh, where insurance companies would have to cover um, autism treatment and autism therapy for those kids with autism. However, that mandate did not include uh, kids with other physical or mental disabilities. Now, what we found is when children uh, receive the proper therapy that they need uh, for any of those disabilities at an early early age, they have a a greater chance of becoming an independent, uh, healthy, happy adult, uh, able to live on their own and function on their own later on in life. 
However, if these children do not receive the, the proper therapy for any of those disabilities, then they have less of a chance in order to be an independent uh, living adult later on in life. And so there was definitely a disconnect um, there. So what Senate Bill 45 does, it piggybacks off of the current uh, statute as far as co covering, uh, covering other disabilities, uh, especially for children. Uh, besides just the autism disorder. And it's it, we've had great testimony. We've been working with insurance companies on this. In fact, uh, we have a compromise bill between uh, the supporters of this, of this legislation as well as the insurance companies. They had originally testified against uh, Senate Bill 45, but uh, through uh, several talks and discussions and, and vetting of the bill, uh, they have come on board and, and are not opposing Senate Bill 45 now, and it actually has been sent out to to, on to the Senate floor, and I'm hopeful for some, some good debate here over the next couple of weeks when it comes up on the Senate floor. It's not surprising to me that insurance companies would have some reservations about this because um, a, a lot of the therapies for developmental disorders are very expensive. So I I I. I, I I would have to imagine they had to come to the table, as you, you kind of alluded to. My question, though, is especially with a lot of developmental disorders like autism and, and things that are similar to autism being diagnosed at a higher rate and with a higher demand for the services that are mentioned in your bill, is there any concern that mandating this in insurance will cause to a kind of shortage of, like, so, like suppliers of treatment because I mean one of the things that I've run into is that um, when I take my child to his particular therapy um, they're so overbooked that they cannot possibly give additional hours for us and I just wonder if that was one of the concerns when you put this forward even though it will definitely reduce costs for families that could, could, could not afford this out of, out of pocket. What have you heard about that part, particular part of this? You know, I, I do realize that there are, um, it is a shortage of therapy providers. And uh, most certainly that that is a uh, one of the concerns that came in as we were working on this bill. But um, actually uh, one of the, the main uh, proponents of this bill, her, her son has autism and so they're using um, the autism providers, but she wanted to uh, make sure that those other types of disabilities uh, were covered as well. And um, I think if this bill were to pass, yes, there, there will be a much higher demand. And so uh, hopefully we can uh, have uh, more people that are, enter this field. And so they're able to provide these services as well. So uh, maybe in the short term, uh, there can be definitely a, a pinch as far as being able to get services, but in the long term, the long term effects of this legislation passing um, are are tremendous, and definitely that's that's what we're focused on is is the long term and having more providers that are able to provide the service, and then ultimately helping these kids uh, lead healthy, uh, fulfilled, independent lives once they become adults. I'm interested in, and this is not this is kind of an issue related to your legislation. But one of the things that yes. I have found when I talk with people involved in the special education space, primarily the city of St. Louis, really struggling with funding and, and attracting personnel for for students. 
I've heard it's an especially large problem in rural areas like you represent. Have, have you found from like diving into this issue when you're talking about kids with developmental disabilities who then like go to public schools and need special education personnel attached to them, is that also a problem that you're, you're, you're finding in some of your local school districts? And is there any connection between this legislation and helping alleviate that? Or is that an entirely different issue altogether? Uh, that, that is kind of an entirely issue altogether. But I, I do know that you know, our rural school districts are doing the best that they can with the resources they have to meet the needs of these uh, children with, with these types of disabilities. I have had um, constituents move out of my rural district uh, and to be closer to a, a bigger city uh, where there are more options for therapy providers than, than in some of my rural counties. And so that, that has been a problem. And so um, that's definitely, you know, we do definitely do have a shortage of these providers now and we need to try and focus on making sure that people uh, enter into this field. And so there are more therapy options available, but yes, uh, definitely in the rural areas, uh, there is, is a sure lack of therapy providers. Is there possibly a role for the state to provide additional funding to especially rural areas? Because one of the reasons I moved to St. Louis County, for example, is because we have the special school district there. There's a lot of money to hire personnel and there's a large population paying into like one property tax bucket. I imagine in rural counties, that's just not possible because A, there's not a lot of people and B, a lot of people in rural counties are not wealthy. So is it possible that the state could create some sort of funding source or some sort of like special ed funding formula to help rural school districts or urban school districts that clearly don't have the resources or money to hire the personnel? You know, that, that is one option that uh, we, we could consider. Um, I, I guess I would differ with you on one thing, that most people in rural Missouri aren't wealthy. I think, you know, we, we do have um, quite a few wealthy as well as uh, low-income people just like the cities to have. But as far as the resources that we have in, in rural Missouri, obviously we do have a lot of good school districts uh, and, a lot, and a lot of good resources. However, because of uh, the lack of population versus the city, we just don't have as many providers as uh, you do in St. Louis or, or Kansas City or, or uh, Springfield or Columbia would have. And so that's uh, some of the struggles we face. And it's not just with therapy uh, providers, but it's with uh, doctors, uh, dentists, um, speech pathologists, you name, you name the professional medical field. And there's definitely a shortage in uh, rural Missouri. And so that's something that we're very cognizant of. I know that there are some other programs, I believe, for some of the other medical professionals to encourage them to come to uh, rural Missouri and, and live in uh, small town rural life. And so um, you bring up a good point as, as far as maybe there, some of these um, therapists could qualify under some of those same medical programs if they go to a smaller or rural community. Well, let's talk about a couple of issues that you may not be sponsoring, but are, are definitely going to be things you could be involved with. The first thing that I want to yes. talk to you about is the prescription drug monitoring program. I believe that legislation was stalled in a Senate committee, but then passed out of it today when we're recording this. My understanding from talking to you before we press record is you're not a super fan of this type of program, right. and I want you to explain why. 
Yes, as far as uh, PDMPs, I, I am not a, a huge fan of creating another government database in order to um, legislate uh, people's personal lives. And we've, although Missouri is the only state that does not have a prescription drug monitoring program, and basically what this is, is if you were prescribed uh, some sort of opioid, uh, your name would go into a database. And then uh, the pharmacies and doctors could look at that database to see uh, how much you've been pres prescribed that particular uh, drug and when you were prescribed last. Um, if you were red flagged, I'm, I'm not for sure exactly what the bill says if you were red flagged. So take, for example, uh, three years ago, I had a root canal, I believe in, in December, and I was prescribed some uh, opioids, some pain medicine. And then uh, about a month later, I was prescribed some additional opioids for a, a back issue that I had. And um, if PDMP were law statewide, my name would have been on this on this different uh, uh, prescription drug monitoring program. I think that you know, even though Missouri is the only state that does not have a PDMP program, we are ranked in the middle as far as opioid-related uh, abuse and deaths. And so when we've looked at many of these other states, the fact of the matter is that the PD, PDMPs don't seem to be working. And we proposed, um, my myself as, as well as some of my colleagues that have uh, aren't a big fan of the PDMP, we've proposed uh, some alternatives um, throughout the past several years. And one of those, I believe there's eight to 10 states that have passed this, which would require doctors to discuss the effects of opioids and opioid abuse with the patient before prescribing that particular medicine. You would think that that would be uh, common sense already, but uh, they don't have to. And so uh, if it was in state statute, they would have to sit down uh, with their patient and describe that. We've also talked about uh, not uh, or making a patient pay with uh, a credit card or debit card. So they would have the credit card would have that information. Most of these people that are pill shopping and are coming in possibly from other states or even in the state of Missouri, they're paying in cash. Uh, they don't want their name out there. Um, we also have talked about different options where the prescription must come from a Missouri doctor. Uh, we want to also focus on uh, the doctors who are over-prescribing. You know, many, some of these doctors, and, and again, we've got a lot of good doctors, but some of these doctors um, are maybe working more like drug dealers where they're just writing prescriptions uh, for these opioids and giving them out uh, like candy to um, different people. And, you know, we, I've, I've also heard on the opposite side of people that do have uh, drug addict or they feel, or they're not drug addicts, but they feel like drug addicts because the negative stigma that has been applied to op opioids. Uh, I recently also had a staff member that had a, a root canal and I've had two root canals myself. Um, when I had a root canal, they, they did prescribe some hydrocodone and, as well as Oxycontin that I could take. Uh, and when she went, to, my staff person went to have her root canal recently, they wouldn't prescribe her anything. Uh, they said, well, just go ahead and take ibuprofen. Well, I, I think just because of the negative stigma that opioid uh, opioids have right now, there's a lot more people in pain because doctors are becoming scared to prescribe any opioids. Um, and, you know, that's an example, I, I believe, of some doctors that are basically under prescribing uh, 
drugs because uh, they're concerned about uh, opioid abuse and things like that. So overall, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of creating another database to monitor people's opioid um, use, but I know some of my colleagues obviously have filed bills in the, in the House and the Senate, and hopefully we can come to a compromise uh, of something that will work um, because, like I said, um, Missouri, you would expect, would be at the very bottom of the list since we're the only state that does not have a PDMP, but we're actually in the middle. My big question for you on this is, are you and some other opponents of PDMP willing to filibuster this to basically prevent anything from getting through the Senate, sort of like your former colleague, Senator Rob Schaff did? Or is your goal here trying to use your objections to facilitate some sort of compromise that ends up passing and going to Governor Mike Parson? I mean, Obviously, I don't know if you're going to give away your legislative strategy to me. Although, if you want to, that would be that would be uh, awesome. But uh, what what are you what is kind of your mindset on 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 what your posture is going to be when this comes to the floor? No, I I think that for any uh, PDMP bill to be passed through the Senate, um, I, I'm not comfortable with the current legislation that it, that is there. Is there a compromise possible? I, you know, maybe that there is. You know, some of those examples that I just talked about of other things besides PDP, I most certainly would want to try first. But I, I think that many of my colleagues uh, have angst about passing uh, PDP in the Senate. And so if and when that bill gets brought up on the Senate floor, I know there will be a lot of discussion on that. And whether or not uh, uh, there's a compromise there, I, I don't know yet. In the last few minutes we have left, I want to ask you about your opinion about Governor Mike Parson's major agenda points. Frankly, PDMP is one of the things that he wants to get passed, but I know that the things that he's talked about on the stump and in his State of the State address include bonding for, for, for bridges, workforce development programs. And I, I kind of get a sense that those are not over. Uh, take away PDMP for a second, which I know does have some controversy attached to it. On its surface, it doesn't seem like bonding for bridges or workforce development programs are, are overly controversial. But I do know that there's been some angst over both of those things. And I'm curious about um, how you think those agenda items are going to go through the Senate in the next couple months with the, the legislature kind of reaching its halfway point. I think the governor's definitely uh, launched a lot of bold initiatives, and, and he's really put a lot of uh, time, energy, and effort in trying to come up with ways in order to uh, move the state forward. I know the bonding um, issue uh, where he would spend, or we would, in the state of Missouri would have $350 million in bonds to do bridge projects all over the state. However, that would cost the state $450 million over the next 15 years. So basically, we're going to get $350 million in bridge projects for $450 million. I do have some concerns about bonding for those particular types of projects. The state of Missouri, we are expected to have a surplus at the end of this year, about $625 million, of which I know the governor set back, set aside about $125 million out of the $625 million for um things that you know that could come up over this next next year and so out of that 500 million dollar carryover um, i would hope that we could find 
and use some of that $500 million carryover into the next fiscal year to use for bridge and road projects. I'm not totally against the bonding proposal that the governor has, but uh, I look forward to uh, working with the governor and trying to come up with, with a compromise there in, in order to uh, fund these bridges and infrastructure projects with you know, whether that's part bonding and part uh, savings that we're realizing in general revenue. You know, the budget, current year budget is about $28 billion, and that's billion with a B for the state of Missouri. Uh, the governor's proposal for next year calls for a $30 billion uh, spending plan, and so an increase of $2 billion between this year and next year. So we're just, myself as well as some of my colleagues, are, are just trying to look at, at different options uh, to see if uh, there's other ways that we could fund some of these infrastructure improvements. We've had conversations with the governor as well as, as his staff, and they have been open and uh, about any other ideas uh, that we would have. And so that's kind of what we're searching for now. I know the governor's very focused on workforce development as well, and most certainly we, we want to do that. He has several different programs out there that we're considering. One is Fast Track, uh, which would allow for um, uh, men or women that are over the age of 25 to go to college or get a certificate or go to tech school or to learn a new skill or trade and whether that's welding or get your uh, QuickBooks certificate or nursing um, you know we it all sounds great I know that uh, that program spec uh, expects to cost around 20 million dollars to the state of Missouri so we want to make sure that um, you know our your taxpayer dollars are being used wisely and so he has several bold initiatives, and, and right now uh, we're looking through those and, and seeing where we can agree. And, and if we disagree on some of those, uh, seeing where we have common ground in order to hopefully move uh, some of those initiatives forward. Well, Senator, I know that the Senate is actually in session right now dealing with uh, important legislation, so I'm going to let you go. Thank you very much for taking time out of your afternoon to talk with me. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. I believe that you can be followed on Twitter at, at D.L. Hoskins. Is that correct? That is correct, at D.L. Hoskins. Thank you very much. Until next time, so long. Who's looking good today? Who's looking good in every way? No star or key. Buffalo stands, we do the dive every time we dance.